Al Jazeera podcast. Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI, and I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Your class starts January 8th. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. An overwhelming call at the United Nations for a ceasefire in Gaza. Israel and the U.S. among the few voting against the resolution. How isolated are both nations from most of the world which opposes the war? Can international opposition have any impact? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. So let's bring in our guests for today's discussion. From Paris, we're joined by Tamir Poros, a former career diplomat in Venezuela and a policy advisor specializing in Latin American economics and geopolitics. From Cape Town, South Africa, we're joined by Melanie Velervoud, uh, who's a former South African ambassador and member of parliament in Nelson Mandela's administration. And here in Doha uh, is uh, Sami Hermes, associate professor at Northwestern University in Qatar. He specialises in social movements, the state and security in the Arab world. A warm welcome to you all. Sami, let's start with you. Um, how significant is this UN General Assembly vote? It, it's highly unlikely to lead to a binding resolution in the Security Council anytime soon, is it? I mean, is it the best the UN can do? And what relevance is this vote to someone suffering under the constant bombardment in Gaza? No, I mean, on one hand, it's uh, it's great that we've seen a shift of 20 countries uh, in the last month. But of course, it's not, uh, you know, uh, quick enough. And uh, of course, it's uh, wonderful to see that the US is now isolated. I think that's the first step. Um, is that it's isolated, and we hope that the next resolution that comes out um, will see a change, and the U.S. won't be able to uh, protect, uh, you know, its interests and Israel any anymore. Uh, but in a sense, it, it is also. Um, as you know, the Israeli ambassador to the UN said, right? He it's total doublespeak. I mean, he blames the Palestinians for everything, but they're the ones who are constantly uh, breaking international law. Um, and so, in a way, the the UN has become uh, ineffectual. Uh, but I think what what is really important is this movement. Um, what you see is uh, international global solidarity actually sort of moving this dial. And I think that's what's really important is that. Uh, we see that you know even this resolution it's not put on the table and uh, Antonio Guterres he did not uh, invoke article 99 because Russia told him or China told him what what there this movement we're seeing is because of global public opinion and pressure on the streets in uh the hallways of power um in you know in all sorts of ways that uh, you know we can uh, talk, talk about in in this uh you know in the next minutes but I, I think that that is really where um where we should really take note uh that none of this would happen if it wasn't for this public pressure Melanie, 10 nations voted against including the US the UK and Germany were among the 10 nations who abstained. How isolated does this vote 
leave the US, picking up on, on what, from what Sammy was saying, what message does it send? And is that message likely to be heeded? And if so, when? Well, I mean, the message is very, very strong, right? Um, it's not often that the UN votes on something so strongly um, and agree on something that strongly. So the message is very clear. The question is, what will it result in? Um, the moral message is there. And I mean, also interesting for me, living in Africa, only three countries did not vote for it. Um, two abstained, and it was only Liberia who voted against it. Um, so, you know, even in a continent as diverse as Africa, there is seems to be a very, very strong message. And one has to ask, how can they not be? You know, how can one not ask for a ceasefire um, after everything that we've seen and, 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 you know, that we've seen on our television screens now for so long? Um, but the question is, of course, the, with the Biden administration, um, are they actually going to heed this message? And, well, one would think that he would increasingly start thinking about the fact that he is losing a lot of support also in America from the liberal left. Um, but, it, you know, it seems that this relationship with, with Israel just keeps on holding them in some way, both financially um, and also diplomatically, seems to consistently still support Israel in this war. Tamir, um Picking up on that, allies are supposed to speak supportedly of allies, at least in public, and take a more honest and robust tone in private. What are we to make, then, of President Biden's remarks that Israel's indiscriminate bombing of Gaza is losing it public support uh, and that PM Prime Minister Netanyahu needs to change his government and his stance on a two-state solution? Where is that coming from? Well, I, I believe that uh, President Biden is uh, probably speaking about his own public opinion because Israel's public opinion, I mean, Israel's support all over the world has never really existed on the Palestinian cause. I think the, the vote at the UN National uh, General Assembly uh, resolution on, on, Pal on Palestine reflects what the, uh, I would say, historic opinion in the global south is about uh, the conflict and the uh, the fate of the Palestinian people and the rights of the Palestinian people, it is in the in the West, in the United States, in the uh, in the uh, European Union, where governments have been supportive of Israel, uh, somehow in disconnect uh, with uh, a growing uh, portion of their own public opinions, who are of course appalled at the uh, at the uh, barbaric uh, campaign of bombing that has been. Uh, uh, that has been imposed over Gaza. And of course, it is their own stance, their own stance uh, uh, supporting Israel, uh, despite of these, uh, I would say, uh, proofs that are, that are uh, visible to, the, to uh, all public opinion and to the world, that is creating an internal problem in uh, uh, Western uh, societies and for Western governments, such as the US government of uh, President Joe Biden. And, and I, I, I think he's referring to that public opinion that uh, doesn't understand how governments in the West are uh, um, supportive of uh, the government of Israel, uh, irrespectively of uh, its actions that are clearly violating international law and, and of course, committing war crimes. Let's um, discuss the, the, the points that you bring up there with, with Sami. Uh, Sami, what, what are we to make of the, the, the stark differences in position on Israel and its bombing of Gaza? Uh, of governments, I'm not talking about public opinion here now, but governments in the global south uh, compared to those richer nations in the north? 
Look, the the whole issue really stems from the fact that uh, Israel is uh, ultimately a European settler co colony. So it makes perfect sense that uh, Europeans, so the richer countries, Europeans, Americans, are going to support uh, their their settlers. And so I think this is this is a really important point that keeps getting missed. And this is why uh, there is a, a a real interest uh, from the U.S. Uh, to support uh, the Israeli state because it supports its you know its interests in in the region. And I you know I would go as far as to say that uh, we talk about ethnic cleansing and genocide, but really I think what we see here is is the U.S. Uh, actively involved in this, and it's just Israeli soldiers doing the you know the labor of it. But I, I think this is why you don't see global South countries supporting uh, Israel. They're they're not you know it, it isn't a global South settler colony. So I think this is um, and and I think one one other thing I'd want to say on on President Biden's remarks is that you know he's he's said things to this effect in the last month that you know things are are, are uh, public opinion is uh, shifting and so on. Um, I I find these as sort of diversions. They're just uh, ways of to sort of buy buy time. I mean you know you can keep saying this, but ultimately the U.S. can turn off. Uh, the sort of the weapon supplies, it continues to do so even uh, even in light of these massive atrocities. Um, and it could, you know, turn this off. And according to Israeli generals and former generals, they would tell you that it would end this war very quickly if that stops. Milani, is this shattering the reputation of nations who continue to stand by Israel, the war on Gaza, I, I mean? And... Uh, what does this this conflict mean for international law? Who, in future, polices nation-state actors when they appear to be able to act with impunity? Well, let me just first say, in terms of what the previous speaker was saying, as funny as the name, um, you know, of course, that South Africa would very much echo that on an official level, um, exactly that, that, you know, South Africa was very aware, and the ANC government in particular, how Israel had very close relationships with Israel, uh, sorry, with the apartheid government um, for many years, and how many of the weapons that were actually used to kill anti-apartheid activists came either from Israel directly or through Israel. And so, you know, then, of course, also that the ANC government can see how the uh, Palestinian cause, the fight for freedom um, against land occupation, etc., very much mirrors their own battle for, for so many decades for freedom in South Africa. And Mandela, of course, famously said that South Africans wouldn't be free um, until uh, the Palestinian people are also free. Um, so I just wanted to, to echo that. In terms of international law, <laughs> you know, as an African and somebody from the Global South, the Global South has always said and has always pointed out for a very long time, for, well, not always, but certainly for decades, um, the hypocrisy when it comes to international law and the application of international law, in particular when it comes to a superpower like America, who likes to play this sort of global policeman, and yet when the rules um, have to apply to them or to countries that they support, they often change the rules or somehow want to reinterpret the, 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 the rules. And, and that's not something new for, for people in the global south. We are very aware of that. Um, and, and so the question is not a new question. It is just whether this is finally the tipping point where the world will 
see that, um, you know, to use the, the children's story that the king actually has no clothes on when it comes to America um, in, this, in this moral global um, question. Tamir, is this a tipping point? To what extent is this a defining moment, not just for the UN, but the current world order and countries that claim to stand for defending human rights? Well, yeah, it, it is a test. Definitely, it is a test, but it is reassuring to see that uh, in the General Assembly of, of the United Nations, such a unanimous uh, stance in defense of the rights of the Palestinian people uh, in this particular case, but that also um, um, says a lot about the aspiration of the Global South and the international community at large to have uh, an international, I would say, international realm that um, is organized around international law, so that every country has to abide to international law. And in this case, it is very clear that the uh, behavior of, of Israel is, of course, opposed to, uh, to those values. At the same time, in the United Nations, for instance, once one uh, country like Israel behaves in such a manner, there should be you know, the uh, recourse to the uh, United Nations Security Council uh, where, you know, the members of the Security Council would be um, uh, able to impose sanctions, international sanctions in this case, to the country that is violating international law. But we all know that there, you know, the political logic and the geopolitical logic um, uh, imposes itself because the U United States would uh, exercise its veto rights. So it's, it's a moment where at the same time you see this very large aspiration but also where you can show the limits of the current international architecture, that uh, the tools are there, but there are also political tools for those countries who want to impose a unilateral vision of, uh, of, of or a unilateral um, uh, force in, in the international realm. So it becomes very clear to the, I would say, the international public opinion, what needs to be changed in this architecture for once again, uh, uh, a, a more balanced and, and, and peaceful international arena to, uh, to exist. So, Tamir, is, is the UN currently a complete waste of time, nothing but a, a debating theatre of, of wishes and dreams? I mean, its critics have been saying for a long time that it's not fit for purpose. Its credibility, uh, and once again, that of the Security Council, is on the line here right now, isn't it? I mean, if the UN can't stop the indiscriminate killing of, of innocents, it's as good as useless. Well, it, 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 I, I understand and share that frustration, but at the same time, it's the only tool available for small countries, those who cannot impose force. So, if I mean, this is, this is again, this is realpolitik. And, and indeed, in the face of realpolitik, the UN cannot do much. But at least it is a forum where that injustice can be underlined, and I think it's very important that these is uh, that that you know that it the ability to the international for the international community and the global south to express its opinion and to un, and to unveil the double standards and the injustices is in itself something that is uh, worthy of keeping. But I understand, of course, the frustration that these tools uh, do not allow uh, the international community to stop the killing and, and the oppression over the Palestinian people. Melanie, do you, do you want to come in there and, and, uh, and expand upon on what uh, uh, Tamir was saying? Well, 
I mean, again, from South Africa, Africa, and I think more generally the, the Global South has for a very, very long time complained and pointed out that a body like, particularly the UN Security Council, is not representative of the whole globe, and neither does it serve the need and the interests of, of a very large section, two-thirds of the world's population. And so they have been critical about this for so long. But I do, and of course, also like bodies of the ICC, and it and it and it is worthwhile mentioning that um, South Africa has asked um, quite a while ago already the International Criminal Court to issue a warrant of arrest for President Netanyahu for for war crimes. And it's going to be, I think, from a from a southern perspective, it's going to be very interesting to see what the ICC will do. Um, the the but I do agree that you know at the moment we don't actually have something better than the UN um, yet to, to um, hold countries to account. Um, of course, on an economic level, this is why BRICS, you have seen such a big expansion and development around BRICS, where more than 40 countries wanted to be part of this. Um, and more six um, quite big countries were who um, entered BRICS this year and will start being full partners on the 1st of January. And that is all part of this effort of the Global South and also of Africa to form a balancing power um, um, or a balance against the sort of superpower of particularly America, um, who seems to often not act in the interest of, of the Global South. Sammy, um after the General Assembly vote, Israel's envoy called the UN a moral stain on humanity. And as far as public global opinion is concerned, I mean, you could argue that he has a point, not for the reasons that, that he was actually arguing at the time, but many people are so frustrated with the UN's apparent impotence while people are, are dying every hour in Gaza. Yes, I think, you know, listening to your other uh, two guests, the one thing that uh, strikes me is that, uh, and you've said this as well, is that this is not the first time we talk about the UN uh, not meeting its uh, responsibilities. But I think this is one of those moments where uh, Global South countries could really take the charge. And, you know, I think the ICC is a defunct institution. And they, I think, Global South countries should be thinking about alternative institutions and just bypassing, uh, you know, the, the Western powers. But of course, you know, uh, that is uh, in some ways uh, dream talk. But I yeah, think I, I was going to say, how, 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 Sammy, would that, how would that work? Well, I mean, I, I think you have 150 nations that have agreed on something. They can actually take action and say, you know, we're going, we're going to impose a no-fly zone on uh, on Israel and uh, put that on the table as a threat, and let's let's see where that goes. I mean, you know, I I assume my I, I imagine that things would probably eventually de-escalate from there rather than escalate into a global war. I don't think that that's where it would go. But the the threat of something like that, or you know, thinking about uh, an alternative uh, international criminal court to sort of uh, you know put these things on the table, um, not allow Israeli politicians to travel around like as if they're not committed. Uh, war crimes. I think some of these things are are really important ways that we could, uh, you know, put put pressure to think about new institutions because uh, we just, you know, we get to this point every time. This is not the first time on Palestine that we've talked about. It's uh, the incapacity of the UN, but we find ourselves here every time. 
Um, and it's, you know, it's tiring and Palestinians are dying in the meantime. And yeah. when they're not dying in grand, great numbers as they are in Gaza, they're dying of slow genocide uh, where, that you see, for example, in the West Bank, right, where uh, their territory is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And so, you know, but but under the radar. And nobody cares. Nobody cared about the prisoners until October 7. And now, you know, people are talking about Palestinian prisoners. To me, Sammy's got a point, hasn't he? I mean, you know, this talk of, of it being high time for, for new institutions is all well and good. But in the meantime, people, people are dying now. Absolutely, absolutely. But again, um, um, it, 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 it is ultimately, if you will, because we move from the framework of, and we have shown the limits of uh, international institutions and international law, but it's probably then to the public opinions in the countries that are supporting this uh, uh, horrendous policies. Uh, for instance, the, uh, the public opinion in the United States uh, should put pressure on its government. I mean, it's, it's, uh, political action is always difficult. It, it requires uh, building appropriate tools. Uh, why aren't Western politicians um, um, put to uh, to the scrutiny by their own public opinions on on the supporting of of Israel. Uh, why don't we have a, a broader or deeper discussion in the countries that are responsible ultimately for supporting Israel in this? Uh, this is probably the way. You know, it is probably the national public opinions that need to do uh, the work in order to change the policies of their own countries, which are uh, backing. Uh, and, and probably the, the very same people in Israel. Again, um, uh, wh wh where is the public opinion in Israel and is it supportive of, of this horrendous campaign? Again, I, I, I think this, this is the time again to, uh, to uh, focus on where things can be changed immediately in order to reach what we all hope for, uh, which is a ceasefire and then a political resolution that takes into account the rights of the Palestinian people. Milani, uh, final word to you then. Uh, do you have any hope that, that that could happen, that this can be brought to a conclusion quickly without further suffering and death? Well, it's probably not that quickly, but certainly I never underestimate the strength of ordinary people um, on their governments if they start uniting. And I agree, this is now public opinion that has to really push because um, even, for example, I think countries should turn their attention now to the U.S. as well, not only to Israel, because we can see that it's not really working with Israel. But I think if countries like, for example, in the European Union, etc., starts putting pressure also on America, that could also help in um, more speedily bringing forth a peaceful resolution, um, which is so desperately needed um, for the people of Gaza. Melania, you, you really think that it's going to come ultimately down to people power? Well, people pushing their political leaders to stop. Um, you know, the Israelis have made it clear they will not stop until they will, in their view, eradicate Hamas, which I think anybody who's grown up amongst liberation movements know that you cannot stop, uh, in particularly terrorist organizations, by killing them. You have to take away the conditions that, will, that motivates them to exist. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the... We know that it's not working on, on Israel, but I think um, public opinion needs to push the rest of the world to all stand together. And we've seen many of them have come together now, but the remaining ones, and in this case, particularly America, who funds um, a large extent this war or to a large extent contributes to the funding of this war, and also 
albeit then in public, um, still, you know, supports the war. Um, I think we need to, you know, that is what's going to, t to make the difference, is the pressure to, to, to stop this. Okay. There, we must end our discussion. Many thanks indeed to you all. Sami Hamez, uh, Milani Furavud and uh, Tamir Porras. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Cara Legg, Veronica Petrosa and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Alexander Shigreen and the programme was edited by Zaina Bada and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in again on Thursday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take. Do you feel lonely? Well, you're not alone. People around the world are facing a crisis of connection. Why and what can be done? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.